Oral questions by members? House Leader of the Official Opposition. Yesterday, in this House, the member for Burnaby North, whom the Premier appointed as Parliamentary Secretary for Labour, once again made highly offensive comments, some of which she has apologized for, none of which she has withdrawn. It is never acceptable to make the comparison she made between the role and speech of the opposition and the horrors of the Holocaust. Furthermore, her disparaging remarks about our democratic process and her belittling of the official opposition for doing our parliamentary job in holding government accountable were entirely unacceptable. What makes this situation even more egregious is that members of the Premier's Cabinet and his caucus, including the Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction and the Minister of Water, Land and Resource Stewardship, actually applauded her prepared remarks and even encouraged her to continue speaking. British Columbians find the comments made by the member for Burnaby North extremely hurtful and they need to know that the Premier of British Columbia condemns them. So my question for the Premier today is will he do that today and unequivocally condemn these words and actions and demonstrate that such behaviour has no place in his caucus, this chamber or our political discourse? Premier. Uh, thank you, Honourable Chair, and thank you to the member for the question. Uh, the comments were not acceptable. The member knows they were not acceptable. She has apologized, and she will be withdrawing them in this House. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and my thanks to the Premier for doing the right thing there. I appreciate that, and I applaud it. Uh, on another note, uh, Mr. Speaker, once again we see a huge gap on another issue between what the Premier and Government are saying and the terrible results that British Columbians are seeing uh, when it comes to a government and their outcomes. Never has this been more true than in housing. Six years of NDP action on housing have produced the worst results in the country. The average home in Vancouver will now eat up 96% of a typical family's income uh, if they wanted to purchase a home, making it the least affordable housing market in the country. But sadly, it gets worse than that. We actually have the most unaffordable housing in North America, according to a recent report from RBC, that points out that a family now needs, in Vancouver, an income of over a quarter of a million dollars just to afford a home in that city. And if you're a renter, you're also worse off than anywhere else in the country because rents are up over $4,000 per year under this NDP government. So to summarize, after six years and two election campaigns promising more affordable housing, NDP housing policy is an absolute abysmal failure by every metric. So given this Premier's own disastrous record as a housing minister, can anyone possibly believe that doing more of these NDP government policies is ever going to actually provide the relief on housing prices and sky-high rents that British Columbians face every single day. Premier. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member, uh, the Leader of the Opposition, for the question. Uh, the RBC report uh, that he references is an important one. Uh, we know that British Columbians are struggling across the province with housing affordability issues. It doesn't matter if you're trying to get into the housing market or if you're trying to find a place to rent, 
Uh, and that's why our government has taken unprecedented action to address this issue. From the very uh, most affordable housing for people living on disability, on social assistance, social housing, uh, opening thousands of units across the province, uh, to expansion into doing work on middle income housing, housing for people who otherwise earn a decent income uh, through the uh, Housing Hub initiative. Um, the member knows that the RBC report talks about rising interest rates and the impact that has had on British Columbians in terms of the affordability of their mortgages, which is devastating for many families. Uh, and the impacts of inflation uh, that have been felt, global inflation that have been felt here in British Columbia impacting on our construction market. Uh, we are taking on the housing issue head on, and the member uh, may not recall, but uh, when they were on this side of the house, we were on that side of the house, we insisted over and over that they take action on housing affordability, and they said, don't worry, the market's going to take care of it, don't worry, the market's going to take care of it. When, when we had a bill in front of this house on the fact that we added 100,000 people to this province last year, record growth in our population, placing, placing strain on housing, to compel municipalities to build the housing that we need, the opposition voted against it before they voted for it. Uh, so they need to figure out what they would do on housing. We know what we're going to do on housing, which is everything we can to ensure affordability for British Columbians. Leader of the official opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, uh, facts and results matter, Mr. Speaker. And the fact is, when I was in government, the average price of a townhome in Surrey was $450,000. Today, it's over a million dollars after six years of the NDP government. Great result. The clock is ticking, and we're almost at the end of the Premier's vaunted 100 days. But instead of better results, what do we see? Nothing but vague announcements and press releases. And in typical NDP fashion, none of these announcements come with any targets or any timelines. The only progress I've actually seen is the Premier acknowledging that their 10-year housing plan has failed in less than five years. So instead of recycling that plan for the spring, we now understand they're kicking it over to the fall session. Because apparently, apparently this Premier needed to hire a high-priced consultant in the form of the former mayor of Victoria, Lisa Helps, to who, to the best of my knowledge, had disastrous outcomes in housing policy in Victoria, and as far as I can see, hasn't spent five minutes in any significant portfolio in the private sector, certainly not in housing, not in any other sector that I can identify. And now, after six years, the current housing minister says, and I quote, in two years, we are not going to solve the housing crisis, end of quote. So, eight years of excuses and delays are unacceptable. Given this Premier and government's track record, given his own track record as Housing Minister, creating the most unaffordable housing in North America, will he at least acknowledge today that what they have been doing have produced none of the results that everyday British Columbians would expect and demand from a government that repeatedly makes the promises? Premier. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and, uh, and thank you to the member for the question, because this, this is a priority for British Columbians. Ensuring they can find an affordable place to live is important not just for them, it's important for business in our province, that they can find the employees that they're looking for. It's important for communities that are trying to grow. We announced a billion dollars to support cities across the province with the growth that they're seeing to ensure that they're able to support the additional housing that we need. 
This is vital. We have to get homes built. We have to increase that housing supply. But the member is mistaken if he thinks the British Columbians don't remember their time on this side of the house. Vacant homes, unused, uh, held by investors. Uh, we brought in the speculation tax. You don't know how many homes are brought back? 20,000 vacant homes. I want to hear him stand up and say that he wouldn't repeal that tax. He has spoken out again and again against that tax that opened vacant homes for British Columbians to be rented to them. Does he stand for investors or does he stand for British Columbians looking for affordable housing? Because his government helped create that housing crisis, then he went to profit from it in the private sector and now he's back. Leader of the Third Party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. For decades, First Nations and old growth advocates have called for change to how forests are managed in our province. And for the last several years, those calls have been echoed by three MLAs in this House, my colleague from Saanich North in the Islands and me, and the MLA for Prince George Mackenzie. We're delighted that the Premier has worked with Gary Merkel and First Nations Forestry Council to implement transformative policies in the forest sector and we applaud this government for finally recognizing that until the laws and regulations are changed, we will see business as usual. Protecting biodiversity and forestry is one part of the equation in addressing the climate crisis. The second part is to stop emitting and to stop organizing our economy around industries that are harming the planet and us. As Gary Merkel said today, quote, if you don't take care of the land, it will end up killing you. The Premier stated in an interview last fall, we cannot continue to expand fossil fuel infrastructure and hit our climate goals. I agree. My questions for you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier, and I urge him not to use Clean BC as a shield. A climate plan is meant to get us to lower emissions, not defend the growth of the fossil fuel industry. Can the Premier assure British Columbians that BC will not approve any more fossil fuel infrastructure? Minister of Environment and Climate Strategy. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for her question and her sincere concern about climate change. I will say, however, that when our government developed Clean BC with the members of the third party, and when we presented Clean BC to British Columbians as a comprehensive plan and roadmap to reduce emissions in communities, in homes, in industry, in transportation. We didn't develop that to be a shield. We developed it to be a solution to the climate crisis that we all face. I've said in this House many times, and my colleague, the Minister of Energy Mines and Low Carbon Innovation, has said the same thing. We have a plan in the roadmap. We have a clear commitment to emission reductions of 33 to 38% in the oil and gas sector. We have a clear commitment to reductions in other industries. We have a clear commitment to reductions in transportation and in communities and buildings. We are working hard to develop the specifics with all stakeholders that have an interest to show British Columbians over the next months 
exactly what steps we'll take to put the roadmap on track to meet our targets. Leader of the third party supplemental. Yeah, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I guess I appreciate the Minister of Environment answering the question I put to the Premier and doing exactly what I asked him not to do, which was use a climate plan as a shield. The Clean BC accounted for half of LNG Canada's phase one emissions. Half doesn't even account for all of phase one emissions. The BC government has long insisted that emissions from LNG somehow will fit into BC's climate targets, but the Premier, the Minister of Environment, and members of Cabinet know, they know, that phase two of LNG Canada does not fit into Clean BC, let alone the other four LNG projects that are currently being proposed in this, pro in this province. This government uses Clean BC as a way to insulate themselves, and it must come to an end because decisions need to be made that shape the future of this province and this planet that we all live on. Having airbags in my car, Honourable Speaker, does not make it safe for me to drive off a cliff. Having a climate plan does not absorb a massive increase in greenhouse gas emissions. It doesn't work that way. We need a paradigm shift in our energy sector if we have any chance of meeting our targets. My question, question. through you is to the Premier. When can we expect the Premier to make a clear commitment to British Columbians that there will be no new fossil fuel infrastructure projects in this province? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and, and thank you to the member for the question. I reiterate my colleagues' comments, and we have always been clear that any LNG development must fit our conditions, and that includes our climate commitments. But beyond that, Mr. Speaker, and the future ahead of us, the plans that we have, the policies we have, is the action that we're already taking. And so let's not forget the broken system of fossil fuel subsidies that the old government refused to take a look at or take any action on. We've tackled that royalty system head on with a first comprehensive review in nearly 30 years, ensuring that it fits with our climate goals and that it provides a fair return to British Columbians. And so as a result, we eliminated the largest fossil fuel subsidy in British Columbia. As a result of this, we can redirect that funding into programs that help heal the land and support a clean energy future. And this is what the member is talking about our clean energy future. This work hasn't stopped. The Premier's directed me in my mandate letter to be looking at other subsidies and how we can direct that into that clean future. I know that the member is passionate about this and I expect her, I want her to continue to bring that passion in the way that we all have to collectively work together towards our climate commitments. Thank you. Member for West Vancouver Capilano. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Premier hasn't just failed to help middle class families with housing. Razan Talabian and her husband, he, they have made it worse for them. This is a young couple. They are expecting their first child, but instead of helping them find a home, this Premier has handed them, in essence, an eviction notice. It is the exact opposite of what has been promised by this Premier and this government as a direct result of the chaos that has been created 
Through the Premier's legislation, their strata, like many stratas across British Columbia, have now voted to make their building 55 plus, forcing this young couple to sell their home once their child is born. Just last month, Mr. Speaker, the Premier was asked directly about stratas that are voting to convert to 55 plus, and he said, and I'll quote, it's not really a loophole. This is potentially actually good news, unquote. So to the Premier, how many families are being evicted because of this ill-thought-out Premier strata chaos, and why should Roseanne and her husband lose their home just for starting a family? Minister of Housing. Honourable Speaker, um, certainly it's a difficult situation for this family. Uh, it's a situation that doesn't happen very often, but when it does, uh, it's, a, it's a major, major concern. Uh, Honourable Speaker. Members. Uh, Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, you know, when the changes were made, it was to ensure that we have more units coming online for people to rent. Young people wanting an opportunity to be able to rent into buildings. Minister will continue. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, in, you know, part of the work that we've done, we've taken advice, and we've taken advice from the seniors advocate. The seniors advocate uh, urged us to ensure that 55 plus would remain available for buildings. It's in line with the Human Rights Code. And, Honourable Speaker, um, what I don't understand from the BC Liberals is there is this the policy they're proposing that they're going to eliminate 55 plus? Is that the solution that they're suggesting here? It's something that's been recommended by the seniors advocate. We put that in place. Uh, and so members, they, members, members. When they refer to a loophole, uh, are they suggesting that they would be eliminating 55 plus? Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Let's look at some other failed housing initiatives that this Premier has brought forward. We, we've just heard the example of around the Stratos. And, Mr. Speaker, the Premier can try to pretend otherwise, but he knows that his much-touted housing HUD model has been a massive housing flub, in fact. We've raised concerns before about the Olympic Villas in Merritt, which received a $17 million low-interest loan from this government. The response from the Premier didn't quite like those questions being asked, so instead we got sent a letter that only can be summarized as admonishing and somewhat trying to intimidate any future questions coming forward. But more important than that, Mr. Speaker, what this letter actually did, it committed in black and white, signed by the Premier, then the Housing Minister, that the most expensive rent in that housing project was going to be $1,650 a month. It says it right on page three. So you can imagine the shock when we read in the news that Olympic Villas is now charging $2,400 a month for rent. More than $750 a month more than this premier promised in writing would happen. So it begs the question, 
not only why did the Premier spend the $17 million of tax dollars this way, why has there been absolutely no oversight on these types of projects to deliver what they're actually supposed to be delivering? Premier. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Now, this member stood up in this place and made some very serious allegations about this particular project previously, and I wrote to him as Housing Minister at the time. And I explained to him how every single thing he said in this place was incorrect, completely wrong. He said uh, that we were subsidizing and there was no increase in affordable units uh, in the merit area as a result of the loan. He was wrong then, and he's wrong again today. We subsidized 45 of 75 units, and those 45 units are part of the housing hub funding. Now, it's, uh, it's quite possible for the remaining uh, 30 units that the rents are up. We've seen significant inflation, uh, but for the housing hub commitment, it was for 45 of 75 units. And, and the member, I asked him to apologize, actually, to the developer of the project who worked closely with the province to deliver affordable housing in the Merritt area that was badly needed. I don't think that ever happened. Members, Member for Camelus Northampton Supplemental. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. It's simply uh, not the case. The Premier does not want to back up his own letter. Affordability in these units is ensured for middle income households and merit for a decade at least. That's his words, not mine. He signed the letter. <laughs> very end of it, he says, uh, well, I will leave it to you to consider appropriate next steps. Well, that's the next steps. Here we are today. So the problem with the $17 million low interest loan is it didn't stop with the rents being $750 a month more than they were supposed to be. In fact, if you're looking for a housing project, you might want to check out Expedia or Airbnb. This is where the so-called affordable housing project is now listed as vacation rental for the low, low bargain price, Mr. Speaker, of $250 a month or, 8, 000, or a night or $8,000 a month in merit. It's no wonder this Premier is so quick to try to not have any more questions answered. Because it's not just this project, it's a wide range of them. Again, why is this Premier's $17 million so-called affordable housing project being listed on Airbnb for outrageous prices and actually have rents $750 a month more. Where is the oversight of BC Housing? I guess we know why there's a forensic audit going on. Premier. Oh, thank you, Honourable Chair. Um, and I know it's a frustration for renters across the province when they see uh, badly needed rental housing that rents out on short-term rental websites like Airbnb. Uh, that's why we've been working with UBCM and why we'll be introducing legislation to address that very se serious issue that the, the member has raised. Um, I think it's really important to recognize that in communities like Merritt, they've been struggling to get purpose-built rental housing uh, constructed for a long time. Uh, the Housing Hub project is about encouraging developers to build that housing and addressing some of the interest rate pressures that we're seeing that could cause them to pull back from building that purpose-built rental housing. And uh, the results are, uh, are in, Honourable Chair. Uh, Purpose-built rentals under our government, 2022, 14,546 units. Under the BC Liberals, 2012, 1,948 units. Yeah. That's up 650%, Honourable Chair. 
glad. I am glad that the member. I am glad that the member uh, brought that to my attention. Absolutely, we will look into that issue. But when you look at what we have done in relation to bringing on new housing across the province, and honourable speaker, I acknowledge we've got a lot more to do. But from student housing, they built 130 units. We built 7,700. <laughs> Starts. Members, members, please. Housing starts when the leader of the opposition was the finance minister. 27,465. Housing starts 2022, our government, 46,721, up 70%. There is a difference between their approach to housing and ours. There is about speculators and investors. And our side is about housing British Columbians. Member for Caribou Chilcotin. Well, sadly, Mr. Speaker, the uh, answers that we're receiving today are of absolutely no comfort to the residents of this province dealing with the rising cost of our housing. This is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the housing flubs, unaffordable projects. Take the Carrington View Apartments in West Kelowna, for example. The NDP promised they would cost no more than $1,590 per month to rent, but today they're listed for a whopping $2,100 per month and up. That's an increase of more than $500 monthly. Mr. Speaker, how can British Columbians have any faith in the Premier's housing promises when he continues to fail to deliver on even the most basic commitments. Here, here. Premier. Thank you, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I'm happy to look into the, the members' allegations. I'll say this. Uh, we, we have allegations often raised by the opposition, especially on the housing file, and we look into them. Continue. We look into them and we'll address them if they need to be addressed. That's how our government works. But I do want members. I do want to underline the difference in our approaches. So we just announced a $500 million fund to buy up uh, rental buildings where, where tenants are at risk. Tenants are at risk of eviction and potentially homelessness. And the reason we're doing that is there are these big uh, corporations called real estate investment trusts buying up these properties. Uh, doing these uh, uh, superficial renovation, renovations, evicting people, increasing rents. The behavior is decreasing affordability and hurting British Columbians. Now, there's a reason, I think, that British Columbians should know there's a difference between this side of the House and the BC Liberals. That is, the member says, the member wants to talk about his experience with housing. He engaged... Members, members. Wait for it. He engaged... Wait for it. Members. Please. He thinks this activity is great. Yeah. He thinks it's wonderful. And the reason he thinks it's great is that is exactly what he did in Calgary and Edmonton. And, and you don't need to take my word for it. Take his word for it. Talking about his work with a partner. Quote, we together set up a joint venture and started acquiring apartment buildings in Calgary and Edmonton and renovating them, fixing them up, and then selling them off.
Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, one thing we know for sure, there's only one speculator that leads a party in this House. It happens to be the person sitting in the Premier's chair who managed to flip his condo for quite a substantive profit. <laughs> Members, members, only one members. Let the member ask question one at a time. Obviously, members, member will continue. Well, thank you, and I'm happy to point out that that occurred just before the speculation tax uh, was actually enacted here in British Columbia. Let's also correct the record for the Premier's sake on a few things. Uh, first of all, we spent $5 billion on housing while this Premier, as the uh, Housing Minister, promised to build 114,000 affordable homes. Guess what? 12,000 are open today out of those 114,000. And by the way, student housing doubled under our government. The, minister, the, the Premier might... Members, the members, Premier members. might think that's the funny, but what we, what we know British Columbians understand, six years, two terms, and under this Premier's leadership as the Housing Minister, it has been nothing but an abysmal failure. summary for the Premier. His housing flub rents are turning out to be hundreds of dollars more a month more expensive than he promised. Developers are getting millions of dollars to list affordable housing on Airbnb. The strata chaos caused the eviction of young families because of this Premier's half-baked legislation. And the Housing Minister had to delay his recycled housing plan until the fall, just adding to a pile of broken promises. It is absolutely no wonder that middle-class families in British Columbia have zero faith in this Premier to deliver on a housing promise. So will the Premier just get up today and finally admit that he is part of the problem when it comes to the affordability crisis, and it has exploded under his watch. Well, question has been asked. Let's see the answer. Premier. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Um, you know, I, I'm pleased to hear that the member was excited about doubling the amount of student housing uh, from what I guess uh, 65 to 130. Yeah. Uh, we, we built uh, 7,700 student housing. a serious housing issue, Honourable Speaker. We have created an economy that works for everybody. It's attracting people from other provinces, from other countries around the world in record numbers. 100,000 people last year were setting records the first two quarters of this year because people are excited to live in BC. But we have to build housing for Members, members, don't get excited. 
Please, carry on. Now, I make absolutely no apologies for changing strata rules to make sure that people can rent out vacant units. That's an important thing. When you have a housing crisis, every single scrap of housing counts. But I do take some exception to the member's suggestion around speculation in real estate. I mean, they're housing critic, flipping houses. The leader of the opposition, I want to, I want to, I want to, like, like. Members, members, your time to ask question is over. Members, members. Like so many British Columbians, when my wife went back to school, our family sold the condo to help pay for her tuition, Honourable Speaker. We used that condo when our first child was born, when I was working here, so that we had a place where she and our new baby could be while I was working as an MLA. That's the condo flipping that they're talking about, Honourable Speaker, just so we're clear. But here's the condo flipping, here's the apartment building flipping that I'm talking about. And the leader of the opposition, in his own words, quote, so we went in there and we acquired some cool buildings and did some renovations. I still own some of my inventory from way back when, and it performed very well over the years. I refinance it all the time. It's been great. Honourable Speaker, we do have different perspectives on our side of this House and that side of the House. We stand up for renters. We stand up for people looking for affordable housing. We stand up for people with decent jobs looking for a place to live. We will keep doing that work. We'll hold municipalities to account. We'll hold investors and speculators to account, short-term rental companies to account. We'll do that work. The other side needs to figure out what they would do. Yeah. The bell ends the caution period.